Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. We have talked about the evangelical heritage version uh, a couple of times here on the Coffee Hour, and there's a a new development with the EHV, so we're going to chat about that in just a moment. Our guest today is Dr. John Brug. He's general editor and Old Testament editor with the Wartburg Project, the team behind the evangelical heritage version. Dr. Brug, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Glad to be here again. So let's talk about the EHV, the Evangelical Heritage Version. What prompted this project to develop another English translation? Well, if the NIV 84 would have continued, the issue might not have come up. But when that discontinued, I don't want to now go into any translation issues and stuff. But there's one point that's especially relevant to us today. Most people don't realize that a real major part of what's driving new translations is not the translations themselves, but the economics of it. That publishers, in the tight squeeze they're in today, can't really profitably sell something that they don't have some control or some voice over. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, last week I was talking to a person in Asia that prints copies of the Gospels to do evangelism with. Muslims. And they said they reached out and contacted us. They're not Lutheran. They reached out and contacted us because they said, we really can't afford any longer for free evangelism materials to pay the kind of price that our publisher is asking for. And could you let us do it for free? And we said, sure, as long as you don't sell them and you don't monetize them we'd give you a non-commercial license that you can uh, distribute free copies of the Gospel of John, you know, as as many as you'd like to. So economics is driving a lot of this. And with study Bibles, too, there's a lot of economic issues involved. And I think I said this last time was here, my favorite theologian, self-appointed theologian, Madonna, once observed, we live in a material world. That was perhaps maybe the only correct theological observation she made, but she was right on target there because even though we're working for spiritual aims, we can't escape the fact paper costs money, there's economic competition, there's supply chain things. We just can't escape the fact that we live in a material world and that it applies also to print study Bibles. Mm Mm-hmm. Was this a bit of a a grassroots effort to put together this translation? Yes. We're not part of the Wisconsin Synod or any other synod. We're not directly affiliated with either Concordia or Northwestern. We're a a volunteer society, a Bible translation society. And we had different people work. We probably had 100 people working all together, although we had a core of about five people that were, you know, most directing the editorial thing. And so every Every translation wasn't the product of one person, but every translation was reviewed by at least 10 people. And these people initially offered to work for free. And even now, they don't receive royalties directly. But if we do have royalty income, we try to, in a fair way, share it with those who freely gave their labor. So it was 
we'd, we'd be called a, a nonprofit organization. Tell us about the name, where the, the name comes from, oh, Evangelical oh, Heritage okay, Version. Okay, yeah, that's a, evangelical, of course, that's the, that's the whole thing right there. The whole purpose the Bible exists is to point to the gospel of Christ and everything serves the gospel of Christ. I think evangelical also does mean something to non-Lutherans. We have a lot of non-Lutherans and one guy, for example, people said, well, they aren't going to want to use a Lutheran Bible. And he said, well, I'm not so sure about that. And one electronic reviewer said, he said, I'm an evangelical. I think he's Baptist or non-denominational. And he said, I've been waiting for years to get my hands on a Lutheran Bible because Luther is so crucial to our evangelical faith and the Reformation. And I wanted to see a Bible was a Lutheran Bible. Well, we're not exactly a Lutheran Bible in the translation, though we are in the study Bible. I mean, we don't put a Lutheran slant in the translation. So the idea that this, we hope this Bible reaches to the people who focus on the gospel wherever they may be. They don't necessarily have to be Lutherans, although we were Lutherans. It's by Lutherans, but it's not for Lutherans. One guy uh, who was reviewing us, he said, well, he said, I guess I'd call it a Lutheran-friendly translation. <laughs> he said that part where you said about the, the Holy Spirit works faith only through the means of grace, the gospel and word and sacraments. He said, to me, that seems a little bit of a Lutheran-friendly translation. <laughs> and I guess I said, well, well, we won't argue that point, I guess. We'll give you that point. <laughs> Heritage shows that we're not claiming we invented anything. We're building on the past. We've inherited a lot. Heritage shows that in the present, an inheritance has been trusted to us, which we have the duty to share. And the heritage also is something we are to entrust to our children, our grandchildren, and beyond that. And by version, we're, we're recognizing that we stand on the foundation that is built in the past. We're not something new. We're a version. We didn't directly work from any one version, but we're just a version among the versions which the church has produced through the ages. You mentioned uh, earlier about uh, printing costs and things that, that you run into just by nature of being people who are publishing a book. What are some of the, the other challenges that you run into with doing these study Bibles and, and new translations, um, especially with all of the new uh, digital versions of things that are coming out as well? Well, I really feel sorry for print publishers. We're not, we're the producers, but, you know, Northwestern publishes it and Concordia publishes things. It's really tough. Like on a study Bible like this, there are some really significant advantages to having a, a computer Bible where you can have the notes side by side. You can put them on the smart board. You can copy them into your presentations. And the problem for publishers is people really want to have that study Bible in their hand, you know, and they know this passage is on the top corner of this page and this passage is on the bottom corner of this page. But how do you deal with the economic world and yet still not kind of cannibalize your print things. I sympathize with publishing houses there. I would think Concordia faces some of the same issues. A lot of people want a free Bible like Bible Gateway, which serves a great purpose, but it's not a substitute for having your own Bible. You kind of got to sell on Amazon. We're not so much on there now. And one of a, a Southern Baptist who was writing to us said, down here, you're not mainstream until you're in Walmart and on Amazon. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we said, well, we recognize the reality, but the, 
for a publishing house, at least as far as I understand the economics, you know, you don't exactly get a good deal from Amazon. You know, is there enough margin? And if you're selling on Amazon, you're reaching a bigger audience, but are you undercutting your own publishing house bookstores and stuff like that? So this is a problem. Somebody said, well, how's your negotiations with Amazon going? And I'm not bashing Amazon, but I said, you don't negotiate with Amazon. (laughs) They're Amazon and you're you. And they tell you, these are our terms. Take them or leave them. So there's, there's a lot of these tough things. How do you balance the electronic and the free with the markets that you need? And how do you you know, do the one without destroying the other. We're in kind of a tricky space. I mean, the world is going toward electronic. And for a publishing house to have to make this transition where the print and the electronic are in some ways in competition, although many people have both, this this is a tough problem for them. I sympathize with publishing houses. And, you know, can they, what products can they sell? They're not charities. They've got to stay solvent. I think, I don't know about Concordia. I know our publishing house is not really subsidized by the church. So they've, they've got to make their decisions partly on the basis of what can we feasibly economically do. What, what formats or what platforms, would, where would we find the EHV, the eventual? Oh, well, the, the main thing is Bible Gateway, which is very accessible to people. As I said, our, our, we sell mainly through Northwestern, the print Bibles. And... There, they have. If you go on there, they'll tell you, you know, all the e e formats that are available, the different ones that the companies have. We're in all of those major ones. We one thing that is interesting though is there's something called the DBL, which is the Digital Bible Library, and it's maintained by the United Bible Societies. In uh, their headquarters is in England, and people can go on there. They have to have a a, a library card license from the Bible Society. In other words, that they're translators or, you know, evangelism groups or something like that. They would be able to download our text either for commercial or non-commercial purposes. So for example, if there was a, we'll say Missouri Synod translation group, we'll just say somewhere in Asia. And they, of course, are working with the Hebrew and Greek but they want their translators also to have, even though they're not making an English Bible, they feel it's useful for their translators to have an English version that they can use to assist them in their translation. They'd be able to go on to the DBL library, the United Bible Society, and they would be able to find the text and download the text. And we don't, of course, charge anybody for using our text for translations into other languages as an aid to translations in other languages. They can't, of course, just put their name on it and sell it against Northwestern, but they can use it. We encourage it, the use of it. And anybody can use a thousand verses of the EHV without any permission or anything. So like, if, say, if somebody in the Missouri Synod is writing a catechism and they decide, well, I kind of like to use the EHV in that. I have my ESV catechism. I'd like an EHV one too. We would tell them, sure, you can do that for free because what you're selling is your catechism. And I don't really have time. I'm probably not going to go and count if they have 1,011 verses or 1,012. But we're very generous at giving people uh, 
the text for either commercial or non-commercial purposes. If it's for non-commercial purpose, there are some limitations. You need permission. But so we try to have it available. That's a good place for people around the world. If they want to use it in some type of publishing project, either Bible Gateway, which is maybe not quite as good a text, not quite formatted the same, or the digital Bible library is the place to go. So the print sales are basically through Northwestern and they use some of the other outlets. We're learning about the evangelical heritage version of the Bible from Dr. John Brug. He's general editor and Old Testament editor with the Wartburg Project. We'll learn more about that and the new study Bible in EHV as well in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're learning about the Evangelical Heritage Version translation of the Bible, and particularly now that it's available as a study Bible, we're talking with Dr. John Brook, General Editor and Old Testament Editor with the Wartburg Project, the team behind the translation, the Evangelical Heritage Version. Dr. Brook, how did you approach translating the scriptures for this EHV? Well, we have a whole set of our, uh, probably a 12-page document on our website, ortbergproject.org, that goes into it. We work to be fresh and original, but to try to, to try to stay close to the worship language of the church. You know, words that are in our hymns, like justification and sanctification, we don't want them to disappear. We want to be worship-friendly, things that are part of the um, heritage of it. And we tried to find kind of the middle ground between staying as close to the Hebrew and Greek as you can, but being enjoyable English. A lot of people say that we did pretty good at getting in the middle, and they, they find it's an enjoyable translation for people to listen to in the public reading of the church. I guess you'd say that's a, that was a very important goal for us. So how does this approach to translation make a difference in, in these translations? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, I would say, for example, in in the passage in Corinthians about communion, we retain the word communion. That's a historical word. It's known well through King James for many centuries. It communicates uh, the Lutheran understanding clearly, but it's not a word that would seem to be a barrier to anyone else. And so to use some of the words like communion, which is so rich in our... uh, liturgy and hymns and everything, that would be an example of uh, terms like fellowship, um, especially stressing the Messianic prophecies. Those would all be some of the areas. Any other examples of translation 
where we might see a difference or you know, if we were to compare the EHV to other translations, where might we see a difference? Oh, well, one, it's not important doctrinally, but in the Gospels, Jesus says, amen, I say to you. That's what he says. If he doesn't say a Greek word for truly, he keeps the Hebrew word, amen. And we thought, if it's good enough for Jesus, we should keep that. In other words, if Jesus speaks Hebrew or Aramaic words in the gospel, like Lama Sabachthani, etc., we keep those words. We keep the amens. We have them in the epistles and we have them in the revelation. It's strange that we didn't have it in the gospels. So some of those things are things striking to people. Sometimes if there's a word that doesn't communicate real well, like the tabernacle, you know, people think, oh, that's in Salt Lake City. Or that's where the communion wafer is in the Catholic Church. So we use the Hebrew word simply means dwelling. And we speak about God dwelling with us in so many passages throughout Scripture. We'll tell, have a note there that tell them, well, traditionally translated tabernacle. But we'll use the term dwelling because I think it will communicate clearly where, or Lord of hosts. When we think of hosts today, we think of a party. It really means the armies. It means people who serve. It refers to the angels and to the armies of the stars and sometimes to Israel. So we will say Lord of armies instead of Lord of hosts. So we we're, we try to respect tradition, but if something isn't communicating well, we want to make a necessary change. We hope will be an improvement. So now the EHV is available as a study Bible. Can you tell us about the features that we'll find in the new EHV study Bible? Yeah, our format is single column and there's extensive notes and the notes will be below. In the electronic Bible, which is not our feature today, that notes can be expanded almost infinitely. And so if you put it on the computer screen, the text will be in one half of your landscape screen and the notes and the maps and everything will be in the other half and you can uh, scroll along with them. In addition to those notes and introductions for each book, we have some resources and appendices. We have lections, connections to the lectionary on our website. The lectionary is commonly used in the Missouri Synod, as well as in Wells and ELS can be downloaded for free. And then we have, we have articles on like the text of the Bible, textual criticism, the Herod family, who was quite bizarre, the geography, and so on down the line. We have about eight appendices like that. We have reading programs and other things. So there's quite a lot there, but there's also a connection in our study Bible. If there's a more major uh, frequently asked question on our website, it'll also say there, for greater discussion of this, see fact number 59 or see fact number 35. So we tried to make a connection from our study Bible to fuller electronic resources, which people can access. There are some really cool things in the appendices of this Bible. I'm looking at them right now. Um, I don't even have anything to ask. This is just so cool. But things like things like Israel's climate and the land and all of these graphics that I don't think I've ever seen before, but it really helps it helps explain a lot of the things that we we read about and we may be familiar with from learning old testament history and and learning these things but having all of those additional resources really 
helps in, a, in an understanding of of the real life that was happening yeah. during yeah. during biblical times. Yeah, and those, we own most of them. There'll be notes there if somebody else owns the pictures. And the pictures we own or the maps we own, especially if you have the electronic version, teachers are able to use those in their own presentations. They can't make a book out of them and sell them or something, but they're, they're there for the church to use. That's the purpose of them being there. Mm-hmm. Something else I noticed that was that it, very interesting in the in the Gospels. You know, we're, we're used to having headers through the book, through the books as we as we read through. But uh, you all put um, different references to where these stories happen in the the other Synoptic Gospels. Yes, it's kind of a um, we do have a harmony of the Gospel as a separate publication, but we do want to have these references so people can easily find them. Hmm. Tell us about the team that worked on putting together the the study Bible version of the EH. Well, a lot of it was based on my years of seminary teaching in the Old Testament. And so we didn't necessarily have each translator because we wanted some consistency. It was mostly done by our editorial team, the, the, the two editors, with, with input and feeding from the people. But the notes were mainly developed out of... I guess you can say the material accumulated from years of teaching at the seminary. So how did how did all of that how did all that come together? What was the process for of all of these people to to bring all of their knowledge together for well, all of the different features well, that we well, see well, in some, here? Somebody makes uh, makes the article, a couple people edit it, and then about ten people uh, read it and make suggestions, and then they go go over it a number of times, and then it is finally done. I would like to say oh. something, if I can, about the whole issue of study Bibles. People really like to have that book in their hands. And I think the majority of your listeners probably are Missouri Synod, not exclusively, of course. But I just would like to say that we didn't use the term Lutheran in the title, even though our study Bible is Lutheran. We're very open about that in our advertising. The doctrinal notes are Lutheran. We, of course, didn't use the word Lutheran because that would be too much like Concordia's name, the Lutheran Study Bible. We felt that wouldn't be, you know, very fair. So we we do stress that we are Lutheran in our advertising. But I also do want to say that we don't at all regard the EHV Study Bible and Concordia's Lutheran Study Bible as competitors. They're complementary. They have somewhat different emphases. Uh, we also encourage people to have both of them. It's like having two one-volume commentaries of the Bible, the Lutheran Study Bible and the Evangelical Heritage Bible. We encourage l- use of the Lutheran Bible companion. We, of course, have different translations as the basis for their notes, but we've always had a, a good, friendly relationship with Concordia, even though we don't have any direct affiliation. When our Bible first came out in 2019, the first congratulatory message that we received, I think on the day it came out, was from Paul McCain, Mm. who at that time was kind of the editorial side head of Concordia, I guess. So we're not trying to compete with the Lutheran Study Bible in any way. They're both sources. You can have two commentaries on a book, and it's good for people to have I think more than one study Bible. 
Well, I don't think I'll be getting my review copy back because <laughs> nope. Sarah, it's mine now. It's taken it over. Um, <laughs> and Sarah's been pointing out, you know, digging through this and, and checking out a lot of the the visual resources that are very helpful. Can you give us just a quick overview of of some of the the resources that we'll find in the study Bible for the listener. Yeah. Well, the color pictures and stuff, they, they show up much. They're, they're really a feature more of the electronic one. The maps, we've had people who gave us permission to use their maps. We wanted to keep the cost. One guy, you'll see his copyright many times. He let us use the maps for free. But a lot of our maps that are specifically drawn to the stories or to give you a picture of where Jesus' ministry was. I'll give you an example. In Matthew, the map for Matthew which shows the arrows going all over, you know, there'll be an, a 12 by the arrow. And that 12 means that this arrow is talked about in chapter 12 of Matthew. And if there's a 16 there, it will mean this arrow describes what happens in chapter 16. So this was these maps were drawn for us by a man who was taught many years in Hong Kong, uh, Ukraine, and other places. And we try to give him some reward if we sell Bibles, but he gave them all to us for free. So the ones that we own, which is most of them, a lot of the pictures of geography are pictures that I took over the years or my students took. We do offer people to be able to use them for free. They can't sell them, but they can use them for free. Where can we learn more about the Evangelical Heritage Version and the Study Bible? Okay. If you go to wartburgproject.org, You'll find maybe just about everything you want to know about the EHV, plus about 5,000 things you don't care whether or not you ever know. <laughs> so we have a lot of frequently asked questions there. We have a library on specific translation issues, specific passages. So, I mean, there's, there's tons of information there. So I would start from wartburgproject.org. People also can send in their questions, and we try to answer them Generally, we have the, we send an answer to them within a day or two. Wartburgproject.org. Yeah, you can find all, more information It's all lowercase. Wartburg Project. Wartburg, of course, is Wartburg, B-U-R-G, not B-E-R-G, common German expression. So wartburgproject.org. And then you'll see headings like library, frequently asked questions. And then you'll find translation issues, specific passages, translation philosophy, which you ask about, and so on. Our guest today, Dr. John Brugge, he's the editor, general editor and Old Testament editor with the Wartburg Project, the team who produced the EHV Evangelical Heritage Version. Dr. Brugge, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. Hey, I enjoyed being here and I hope that the study Bible will be a benefit of too many people. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Gulseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.